Thanks so much for tuning in as we um, continue in our one series on One God Through All. And uh, before we go any further, before we look into Ephesians 4, then find our way to Joshua chapter 10, let's pray together. God, we pray that during this time as we see the truths that you've embedded in your word, that they will become embedded in our hearts and so embedded that they begin to find their way out through our actions, that they begin to find their way out with the way that we speak and how we treat others. So, Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit will discern for us um, the meaning and the truth of this word and what it means for us. And we pray for those who are not yet Christians, not yet a part of the family of God, that they would be today upon hearing the message and truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, you you guys know that how if you try to accomplish something without an expert, it can tend to not be as good or it can even take longer. You know how that if you try to do something on your own, you can add some steps. Or you might have to redo stuff and it takes longer. But, but when we attempt to accomplish anything without God, we're either going to fall short of what He wanted or we're going to fail miserably. And sometimes it's both. So when we attempt life, when we attempt relationships, when we move forward with hopes and dreams or just trying to dig ourselves or get ourselves up or move ourselves out of these hard valleys of life, um, we're going to fall short when we try to do that without God. We're going to fall short and fail miserably when we try to go without Him because God who is through all has a really, really, really great direction for us. And we're going to be looking at an aspect of God's sovereignty, what that means, kind of how it works itself out in the world in which we live. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4, 5, and 6. This is, this is the foundational text for this entire series. Um, what unites us and binds us, what God desires to unite and bind the world is found here. So let's look at Ephesians 4, 4. 5 and 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So when we're talking about God that's through all, you have to answer the question, like, what does that mean? Does that mean God's in everything? Is God in this chair that my sound guy sitting in as we record this? Is God in my favorite pencil or my favorite car that I've had since I was 16? Is God in my favorite sport team? Is God in, where, what does it mean when you say God's through all? Now, when we talk about through all, what we're talking about is God's sovereignty. That's a big word, sovereignty. It's a blanket word. It's a covering word. Everything follows follows and flows under it, and I mean everything. But when you talk sovereignty, think about it as God's active presence in the world. So you have God's active presence, Him working, is sovereignty. Then you add to that layer of His active presence in the world that He is supreme in power and authority. There is none more strong, none more right, none more true who can determine and, and sort of put forth in direction what God has. So when you talk about God, there is one God who is through all. You're talking about one God who is sovereign, one God who is working His midst in the world in which we live, one God who's just simply the best, the right, the truth, the way in which we should navigate in life. 
because we know what it is to fail miserably. God, first of all, He never fails, ever. Never leaves us and He never fails. We fail all the time. We'll take tests. We'll fail. We'll go for promotions. We fail. We try to work on our relationships. We fail. But God's redemption and perfectness is what helps us to move forward and to become more like Christ, but also to redeem the moments where we actually do fail. So let me hit you with this one thing. Let me show you this one thing to kind of help you better understand exactly what we're talking about when we look at God's um, sovereignty. So uh, the one thing, the sovereignty of God is seen quite well in the public displays of faith. So if you want to show that God's sovereign, His people, His kids, the Christians in this world, publicly living out their faith is a great way for people to see that God is sovereign. Sure, there's an intellectual piece. Sure, there's a discerning piece in your spirit. But publicly displaying you believe in God's sovereignty and allow Him to work what? As Ephesians says, through all, through you who falls into that all, is a massive way for people to know that God's real. How does God? How, how do people know God's real? Where you work, worship, live, and recharge? They should know God's real because He works through your life. They should be able to see a Christian in in full effect and go, what this person posts online, what this person grams online, what this person does at work, what they say, how they treat their family or don't treat their family. That shows me that God's real. It shows me what God is like. So in those verses, in this one thing, that's what we see. The sovereignty of God is seen quite well in public displays of faith. So let me set the context. I'm just going to get you a heads up. In a second, we're going to find our way to Joshua, the Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter 10, verse 10. So all 10s, Joshua. Just find that. But what's happening is, Joshua and God's people are seeking to fulfill his promised will by driving out the evil in the promised land. So God has a promised will, and if you go and if you follow me, and you know, sort of Joshua is for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. It's where that famous line comes from him. Then we see here that he's like, look, we've got a mission to fulfill. A promised will from God. We need to drive out evil from the promised land, which we're going to move into and not let it take place. Because like, here's the dilemma. Like, how do you... Like, how do you help someone understand the sovereignty of God? A God who is so much more than we can ever imagine, kind of actually like work and move in this world. I mean, it's tough. It's hard. So we're going to take a passage of scripture to really show God's supreme in power and authority, his active presence in the world. And God works in the world and he works through his kids and he works outside the creature. He's doing all that he can to help his will come to true, to make it easy for people to get to Jesus. So... Joshua and God's people have crossed in the promised land and they're beginning their campaign of driving evil out. Well, uh, needless to say, a lot of people don't like to be told what to do. And a lot of people don't like when you mess with their stuff, or at least what they think is their stuff. So Joshua's moving in here and there's lots and lots of resistance. So let's look at Joshua chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. First, just, just to get a better sense of the context. So as Joshua goes... Um, in there, the enemies gather together. So it's like these five armies, right? These five armies get together. It's like, like Lord of the Rings, right? They have five armies. So these five armies get together and they're going to attack Israel because Israel's standing up for what's right. They're standing up for what's biblically true. They're standing up for God. They're standing up for the truth of God's word. And the world doesn't like that. So they gather, these five armies get together and go, we are going to crush God's people. 
we're going to crush them. And they're outnumbered. The numbers that they have are amazing and staggering compared to the Israelite people, to God's people. Small are God's people, but powerful and mighty is God. So this, these five armies just start marching and campaigning against the Israelites. And then God's like, I'm about to do something. I'm about to show my sovereignty and how I work. Because remember the one thing? The sovereignty of God is seen quite well in the public displays of faith. So here's what happens. Verse 10. So the army's coming. They're coming together. And the Lord got threw the army into panic before Israel. And he struck them with a great blow at Gibeon. And he chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Haran and struck them as far as Aska and Makedah, which is about 30 miles. So he drives these five armies 30 miles away from Israel. Verse 11. And as he fled before Israel, why they were going down to the Sin of Bethlehem, so they're about to get to their destination where they're going to find some freedom. Watch this. The Lord threw down large stones from heaven. I don't know how that's happening. I don't know if the angels are chucking it, if God's chucking it, but large stones from heaven as far as Azkadah to uh, until they died. So he's just throwing it and throwing it and throwing them until they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with their sword. So let me, let me just, let me share the truth of God's sovereignty. When you're stacked up against overwhelming odds as a Christian and you think there's no way out, God can miraculously manifest large hailstones from heaven and defeat your enemies. You might feel like you're drowning in debt, in a loveless relationship, stuck in a circular position at work. You may desire more and want more for your life and know that God wants to use you more, but you just can't seem to get out of the rut. And here we see God un rutting and standing against those that would come against his people. So that's what happens. God throws the five armies into panic. He strikes them with a great blow. He's throwing hailstones from heaven. So imagine you're standing back going, we're Israel. We're about to be killed by all these many people. I'm about to be overwhelmed by my bills. I'm about to be overwhelmed by my people. I'm about to be overwhelmed by depression and, and bad thoughts and, and temptation that's grown into sin. And God just looks at that and goes, for my kids who believe in faith and serve out and try to do my own. Here's what's going to happen. Hailstone, hailstone, hailstone. So God shows his power and authority over the hearts and minds of humanity. So we see the hearts and minds of humanity in kind of two things. First of all, it tells us that the five armies panic. They freak out. So those who are against God, those who are trying to do evil, they panic when God shows up. Why? Because their strongholds are about to break down. Then we see here, not only are they panicking, but we see God's people protected. All along the way, God's behind here. He's going ahead of them where the problems are, where all the things that are taking place, and he's working. He's throwing hailstones, hailstones. He, he drives the problem 30 miles away. I mean, wouldn't you love that? Maybe it's a prayer you can pray. God, just remove me 30 miles away from my problems. Drive them away. Save me from this which seeks to destroy me. This evil, this sin, these thoughts, these actions that will break me up. And God says, look, here it is. So not only do we see God's sovereignty over people, we see God's sovereignty over all of creation. That it's at His service. Hailstones just don't come down out of nowhere. They come from the sky. And these specifically 
were called out and thrown out by God, specifically at a small point in the Middle East to eliminate God's enemies. I mean, how crazy is that? You, God, you think you're good already because God's thrown in, but here's how God's abundance just continues. So he's driving your enemies away from you. You know you've got them defeated. Then as they're going out, he abundantly, John 10, 10, hits them with stones so that he is the one who defeats more than you ever could have. The, the verse actually says, more died because of the hailstones than those who were killed by the sword. So essentially, God goes forward and just fights their battles for them while they faithfully pursue God's will and follow after Him. And that's who they're following. But you may say, but Nathan, they're following the enemies. They're chasing down their enemies to hurt them. No, they're following God who has directed them to faithfully pursue after. Because as far as they know, until those hailstones start falling, those armies could have turned and attacked and killed them. They, when they ran into those valleys, they could have been ambushed. But God just simply says, go, and they follow, and he does more. Then we see that God has sovereignty over life and death. He saves God's people by grace, unmerited favor, by destroying God's enemies, uh, getting rid of that which would seek to kill God's people, and shows justice to evil. Because remember, these aren't good people in the world that God is um, bringing down. These are evil people. They're worshiping evil gods. They're doing evil things to men, women, and children. There, there's just so much badness in this group. And God gave them chance after chance, but they didn't. So now he comes, as it does for all of us, justice. You may live 80, 90, 100 years, but justice is still going to wait for you at the end. And you're either going to have the justice of heaven, saved by grace through faith, through Jesus Christ, or the justice of hell and separation from God because you were never saved. So let me just pause pump the brakes, lean back for a second and say this. If you're not a Christian, then God's sovereignty is against you. And I'll say it this way, and I would say it like this. God's sovereignty is against you because He wants all of you to come to who He is. Because if you're not for Him, you're against Him. There's no middle gray area with God. So if you're not a Christian, if you've never called on the name of the Lord to be saved, if you've never asked forgiveness for your sins, made Lord the leader and love of your life, if you've never been saved by grace through faith, this is the time right now to do it. In this moment, pull the car over, kneel at your bedside, quiet yourself, and then just simply ask for God's forgiveness for all of your sins and all the things that are going on so that you might be saved. So we just want you to have that because once you do that, then all of God's sovereignty is working for you because God's number one goal for people who aren't saved is to be saved. And if you are saved, to live like you are in his grace and goodness. Let's look at how this story kind of um, continues out here. In Joshua chapter 10, verse 12, 13, and 14, here's what we see. So Joshua is there. The armies are retreating. It's about to get dark. And um, Joshua discerns and knows um, through faith that they need more time. They need more time. They need more effort. They need a miracle to finally be able to overcome this temptation. They need the sovereignty of God, His active presence of supreme power and authority to come into their life and say, just make this right. And I'm sure that there are areas in your life that you need that. There are relationships. There are workships. There are friendships where that needs to be course corrected. And God, through faith, 
works in that. So this is where Joshua picks up and just kind of moves. So let's look at this. Uh, Joshua chapter 10, verse 12, 13, and 14. So at that time, as Joshua was looking to show God's goodness and sovereignty, spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. Verse 13, And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped. This really happened. Until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is that not written in the book of Jasser? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry or set for a whole day. Verse 14. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. There, like th- these passages of verses could very deeply become a Bible study more than... I've I've actually seen books written about this passage of Scripture. But we're going to overview it for the sake of sovereignty just to have a better grip on it. First of all, remember the one thing, the sovereignty of God is seen quite well in public displays. Um, We see Joshua spoke to the Lord. I'd say this, talk to God in front of others, live for God in front of others. Talk to God in front of others, live for God in front of others. What does it say there? Joshua spoke to the Lord and set it in the sight of all of Israel. So as all of this was taking over, as his nation was in a turning point, he didn't wall off into some little cave and pray, 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 and then work through the Bible. He actually breaks out in front of everyone and says, Lord, in the sight of Israel, here's what I ask. Stop the sun and stop the moon. Stop the sun and stop the moon. And what I love about his specific request is a couple things. First of all, specific trust brings specific actions. So uh, it's like how they say with your prayer life. If you just generally pray, then you're just generally going to assume God's at work. But if you specifically pray like for a sick kid to get better and they get better because God heals them, you will know specifically that your trust and faith in him has demonstrated sovereignty. The more specific you trust the more specific God's response. So I would say to you, get specific. I mean, you don't get much more specific than Joshua praying, God, stop the sun, stop the moon in their places. We're going to hang out here until your will is fulfilled. So you need to pray that in your life. That God would just stop whatever so that there'll be more time for you to draw into him in the sight of others and fulfill his will that needs to take place. And not only do we see that, but what I love is found in verse 14. And I want you to, want just to encourage you as we get close to, to closing this out. Is that one of verse 14, I mean, if I, if I was a highlighter or even wasn't a highlighter, I'd start highlighting this. Verse 14, it said, the Lord heeded the voice of a man and the Lord fought for Israel. God's going to hear your prayers. He's going to listen to you. The cries of your heart, the adulation of the celebration that you have for him all of that he's going to hear and he's also going to say this i love the end of out verse 14 and the lord fought for israel i mean that's incredible right the lord fought for israel the lord fought for god's people the lord fights for you christian so we should stand and go look if god's got to move heaven and earth to accomplish his will he will for a full 24 hours the sun didn't move the moon didn't move. And we know what that really means, right? The earth just stayed in place. It stopped revolving around the sun. The moon stopped revolving around the earth. Literally, the universe froze. 
all to accomplish God's will. So we worry and we fret and we wonder about this one God that's through all. But God is active. God is active in your life. And if you let Him move and you open up in faith and you create an environment to where He can work and move, you are going to see in crazy things. So be specific. Talk to God in front of others. Live for God in front of others. And finally, let me show you this one thing here as we, as we wrap this out. This one thing here, which is this. The sovereignty of God is seen quite well in public displays of faith. Now, Joshua's already in eternity, so who's going to display those acts of faith? You are. By being saved moments ago, or even now. By being a Christian who was saved decades ago, but living now. Let's pray together. God, we pray that you will just... First of all, we pray that you'll just save the souls of those who aren't yet Christians. For those who have now never found forgiveness for their sins, who have never found peace and hope and joy in who you are and, and what you're doing. So God, we ask and we seek your guidance and direction of forgiveness. We pray that right now, if you're listening and you've hung in with us this far and you're not a Christian, that you would be saved now. That you wouldn't wait for today, but you'd be saved right now. Confess with your mouth, non-Christian, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. I just pray that. God will forgive you for all your sins. God will be there for you. And if you are a Christian, talk to God more. And talk to God more in front of others. Live it out. Be specific. Look for specific answers. Display acts of faith publicly, wherever you are. Because acts of evil are being displayed publicly. Acts of indifference, acts of gray areas, all that's being displayed. So God, as Christians, we pray that you'll help us to be bold, wise, courageous, and always sharing the truth in love so that others may find it easy to get to Jesus, find it easy to be forgiven, find it easy to get to Christ. Because we know life isn't always easy, but it is always better when we serve the Lord. So help us to be those, Lord, to live in such a way that people are like, look, yeah, life is hard for them, and life is really great for them sometimes, and life's just sometimes mundane and, and routine, that we all might look at that and just go, wow. Stability. Let's have that. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great and wonderful rest of the day.